Ever notice that everything you ever thought would make you happy ever after didn't? Oh, me too. It turns out Sean Cassidy was not my soulmate. Orgasms only last a few seconds and money does not buy happiness. Hi, I'm Dr. Cheryl Fraser and welcome to Sex, Love and Elephants, the weekly podcast where we explore relationships, mind and the meaning of life. A place where you are normal if you feel like something's missing, even though you have it all. Because guess what? Happiness is an inside job. How do I know? Well, if a Buddhist nun and a sex expert had a baby, I'm it. I'm a psychologist, sex therapist, and author. I've meditated for 12 hours a day for months at a time. I've studied Tantra in Tibet, and I've taught for people like Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and helped thousands of couples reignite passion. My mission with a loving heart is to kick your ass off the couch and into awakening. And here's the secret. If you want to cultivate wild love that lasts, compassion and curiosity, and the superpower of being happy for no reason, first, you've got to meet your elephant. So let's go. Hi, this is Dr. Cheryl Fraser, and for today's episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants, I'm bringing to you a Dharma talk, a Buddhist meditation talk I gave last week on a fascinating topic of what are called the six perfections. Now, I want you to imagine that someone comes to you and they have this on verifiable authority, that if you practice six qualities in your life, you'll be happier, you'll manage stress better, you'll be kinder and more compassionate, and you will embrace your elephant. That's what the six perfections are. Without further ado, we're going to jump into a talk I gave last week on that topic to my Buddhist group here on Vancouver Island. And I will, of course, pop back in at the end with this week's Love Bite. See you next week with a brand new episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But enjoy hearing about the six qualities that should you perfect them, And okay, we can't really perfect them because we're mere mortals, but you can practice them. You'll be a much happier, much healthier, much kinder, much more elephant human being. Tonight, I want to talk about uh, a a beautiful topic in Buddha Dharma, a topic some of you in the room uh, are very familiar with, I hope, because you've done long retreats with me on the topic. It's okay if you don't remember it all, Uh, which is the six perfections or the six paramita in Pali, uh, which roughly translates in English as the perfections. And these are most simply, most profoundly, six aspects of training, six aspects of working with our minds and our lives that the Buddha taught as being extremely skillful. And uh, I like to point out that the word in translation means the six perfections. I mean, things to be perfected, things to be cultivated, things to be explored and uh, rehearsed and uh, to take a deep dive into. And for all of us, unless you're a fully awake Buddha, I'm certainly not yet, hope to be, these are things we will be perfecting. In other words, sometimes we'll do um, quite skillfully in developing one or more of these six qualities you're about to hear about. And other times we will fall down very badly and really 
fail, not a word I like in this context much, but we'll, we'll use it for now, fail in that perfection. We'll fail to be generous. We'll be selfish. We'll fail to uh, be concentrated and meditative. We'll be scattered and, 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 and uh, not paying attention and so on. But these, to make it really simple, you could even, please don't, but you could even forget the Buddha, so to speak, for the moment and say in terms of uh, well-being, psychological well-being, happiness, calm, being a, being a good human, a good human on the planet, a good human in your home, with your family, in your workplace, cultivating these six qualities, these six paramita, these six noble studies, will make you, will assist you, will help you grow to be calmer, kinder, wiser, better friend, better mom, dad, brother, sister, boss, employee, and I would put forward even more importantly, these are aspects of awakening. These are aspects of more and more clearly seeing things the way they are, understanding the nature of reality, and um, cultivating that. So, what are the six? Uh, these are the perfections, the qualities of generosity, as I've mentioned. The quality of what is sometimes called ethics, um, morality, ethical behavior, the perfection of patience, the perfection of effort or determination or energy, different translations of that word in Pali, the perfection of meditation and concentration, training the mind, and then the sixth perfection of wisdom, of wisdom. So I'm going to do a bit of teaching about those six tonight, and certainly something we can unpack in great depth. Uh, a few of you in this room have done at least one 10-day retreat where we uh, spent a day on each of these, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't glean a great deal in 45 or 50 minutes. Generosity. I think for most of us, hopefully all of us, generosity is a word that feels kind of good in English. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive word. When I hear, oh, they're a very generous person, that kind of warms my heart a bit. Um... When, when I hear the word generosity, it's, 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 a, it's a movement towards what? What is it to be generous? What, when you think of a truly generous person who gives selflessly, with good motivation, absolutely no um, need to be recognized. Um, it's interesting, I made a, a donation to a cause recently, and there was a, a button you could check if you wanted your name listed, which is great. Because it might inspire other people that see, oh, gee, Kim gave to that cause. That's a good thing for me to do. So if we say, yeah, publish my name, that might be really wise and generous. It also might be a little bit about, look at me, I'm so generous. And so it's a matter of what is our intention as we give. Again, nothing wrong with having your name published. I just said where that could be super skillful. It might have all your friends think, what a good idea. I'd like to give to that. So to be generous, Dana. The word being dana in the in the in the Pali language, the language spoken at the time of the Buddha, is to be able to freely give. And here's where it gets interesting for some of us: freely receive. And I do find, certainly for myself, and I think for most native English speakers, we think of generosity as an outflow, to be generous, right? To give. Uh, we don't necessarily think that it's generous to receive. And I think it's profoundly important that the Buddha taught it very, very clearly that generosity dana 
Dawn is a really a better word because the word in English might make us just think of giving out is a flow of giving and receiving. And I don't mean tit for tat or equal. You know, you gave me three and a half cookies. Next time I see you, I better give you three and a half cookies. It doesn't mean that. It means that to be a generous being, a loving being, we're able to receive the generosity of others because when we receive the generosity of others, we're doing the profound generosity of allowing that other person to give from their heart. Uh, some of you will have heard this little story before. It'll be new to others. But many moons ago, when I was in my first or second year of uh, college or university at the time, uh, I had some scholarships. I had some money I'd saved from waitressing to pay for my uh, tuition and my books, which back then weren't very expensive. I mean, it wasn't a very big number. But I needed a little bit more money. And so I spoke to my dad and I said, gee, dad, you know, I, I really could use like an extra, I think it was $1,200 to pay, to cover the rest of the tuition or the books. And I said, you know, I, I feel badly, but I'm a little short. And dad said, oh, no problem. I'm coming to Victoria. Um, why don't we go for lunch? I'm more than happy to give you a check. My pleasure. So we met and we had lunch. No doubt he paid for it because that's what your parents do when you're in university, right? And then he gave me a check. And then I went into what I thought was sort of a kind thing to do. I said, you know, Dad, I so appreciate it, but I feel really terrible. Like, I'm really, I feel terrible I had to ask. Um, I feel really terrible that, you know, I had to ask you to help me. And his face kind of fell a little bit. And then he said, Cheryl, stop. He said, you're making me feel really lousy about this. And I was feeling great about it. I got to help my kid. I was so glad you asked. It was a pleasure to do. I'm able to do it. And by you saying, oh, I feel terrible. I wish I, you're, you're, you're taking away the good feeling. That was such a great teaching on receiving with grace, right? And it, it made a real impact on me. It was the first time that I'd ever really kind of come into my consciousness in that way. And as a good Canadians, I would put forward many of us, probably all of us in this room, are pretty good at giving in our own ways. And I bet we're not that great at receiving. And some of the examples I often use, as a few of you know, is if someone, if you invite someone over for dinner and they come over and they bring a bouquet of flowers or a lovely bottle of wine or a, maybe they're a crafty person and they bring you a beautiful little something they've made for your table. And how often do you hear, oh, you shouldn't have, I wish you hadn't bothered. What's a horrible thing to say? We think it's a good thing. Like we're saying, oh, it wasn't necessary. But again, like my dad, you'll see people's face kind of fall because maybe they really enjoy, you know, here you go. And if it's a, oh, you didn't have to bring anything, but I wanted to. So think about that and apply it. This may sound like, what the heck does this have to do with meditation? A lot. Developing these qualities in our life of being open-heartedly, wisely generous, of receiving with grace and gentle gratitude, these qualities, there's five more to come, help calm your heart and mind. You know this intuitively, even if you've never heard a word of so-called Buddhist teaching or Dharma teaching in your life. You simply know as a decent human on the planet that when you give from a place of goodness, it feels lovely and calm and peaceful. And when you're able to receive from a place of just gentle gratitude, it feels lovely. It feels lovely even if that's a little more awkward than the giving. So we could go massively deeper. We could do a month's retreat on Donna alone. Perhaps we will one day. 
But I want you to think about this quality of where can I expand the generosity in my life, both in terms of giving and receiving? What are some of the most beneficial, kind things we can give? Often it's our time. If you've got an elder, if you've got a person who's somewhat isolated, if you've got a neighbor who has no friends or family left, and maybe, frankly, they're a little bit of a pill. (laughs) Maybe they're a bit of a challenging person. But can you give the gift of time to stop and have a proper chat over the fence for 10 or 15 minutes with a good heart and know that if they're chatting with you, then they're appreciating the contact. What can we do in small or big ways? ways to be generous can we generously notice a bloom on our walk to the car can we stop and as we notice uh, when we were driving here we pulled off uh, so heading north from duncan we pull off the uh, the new highway right the turn that brings you up by jingle pot and along here and as we pulled off from the main highway and came up the new highway to our left there's a bunch of grass and there was this, this sort of carpet of purple two patches of this carpet of purple and there were some tiny little purple-ish buds or blooms or wildflowers. There's a green, green, green with this sort of blob of purplish and then a blob of purplish. And we noticed it and we commented, oh, look at that purple. That's a generous act. It may not sound like it, but you're taking a moment to notice and receive Mother Nature's gift. So I want you each to think about this. I want you to take, those of you watching uh, now on the live stream or maybe watching later on the recording, and certainly each and every one of us generously in this room giving and receiving right now. I'm receiving your energy and your, 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 your loveliness to be here. You're receiving some words and hopefully some good heartfelt feelings as best as I'm able from me. But I want each of us not just to enjoy, I hope, this talk or find it somewhat helpful or quite helpful, but to, to take it to the streets. This week, be more aware of moments of giving and receiving generosity. Be aware of times where our spirits um, tighten and get a little more selfish because we're fatigued, because we're not sure we trust this, because we're so busy, we, we don't have time to notice the purple blob of wash of beauty and color in the unkept grass on the way here. I, of course, don't notice all the time. I, of course, get busy or agitated equally. No judgment here. But... Can we be generous to stop and notice? Can we be generous to receive? Can we we be generous to give even when, and perhaps especially when we are in a hurry or we are tired or we are overwhelmed? Just a moment of grace, a moment of attention, a moment of giving to self. Instead of uh, grabbing fast food and watching a violent TV program, sometimes those might have a place. Would it be kinder to give to ourselves? a more nutritious, delicious meal, and maybe to watch a show that's more heartfelt and lovely and interesting. Watch My Octopus Teacher or something. If you haven't watched that, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it's a lovely show. So generosity. That's one of the six. The second one is uh, Sila Parami, uh, Donna being the Pali word for generosity. Sila translated as ethics, or I like to translate it as integrity. I think that captures the flavor of that word very well. Acting with integrity, honesty, ethics. Uh, we, we can have some sort of, in English, ethics, morality. It can sound a bit like woohoo and like strict and random. 
But what is it to act with integrity or personal ethics of kindness, of uh, not lying, not stealing, catching ourselves when we do? I don't steal. I don't lie. Well, do you ever exaggerate a bit? Do you ever say you did something when you mean to do it in a few minutes? Everybody lies. If you think you don't lie, you're lying to yourself. You may not tell gross, whopper, deliberate, you know, tremendous lies. But where are we with our honesty, with our integrity? Are we making promises? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I'll be there when we know darn well we probably won't go. You know, just take it as a study. Take it as an exploration. What are our moral ethics? Those of you familiar with the um, with the um, five precepts, you know, we, we work to, to not kill. What does that mean? Well, to literally not go out and butcher a pig tonight. But also, you know, maybe to kill someone's hope, to kill someone's belief in themselves by saying, that was stupid, why'd you do that? There's so many ways we can look at, you know, we will attempt to not, you know, kill life force in ourselves and others and to speak in an ethical, honest, useful manner. And we're going to mess up. I certainly mess up a lot on that one. But then in my ethics and my integrity, I try to fix it. I try to apologize. I vow to do better. Um, I keep taking speech and communication as a study. So the second parami is how to be in the world in a wholesome way. That word, if you're not familiar with it in this context, wholesome, what does that mean? It's a lovely concept in Buddha Dharma. We don't talk about right and wrong. We don't talk about good and bad. We talk about wholesome and unwholesome. And wholesome is defined as actions, words, uh, activities, thoughts that reduce suffering for self and other. And unwholesome, as you might guess, are things that increase or might lead to suffering for self and others. So we don't go, like, that was really bad, Neil. We say, was that as wholesome as it could have been? And Neil might say, you know, I probably was a bit impatient. I probably rushed through what I was doing, and it, I probably could have done it a little more wholesomely. So it, it's not as um, good, bad. Does this lead toward or away from suffering? The ethics, the integrity, the um, moral, the moral integrity of our body, speech, and mind—the things we do, the things we think, and the things we say. Boy, there's a lifetime of study. Just stop right there. Spend the rest of your life studying how much integrity, honesty, and kindness are you bringing to your body, speech, and mind. When you think of something or someone that really upsets you, certain world leaders at various times in the last few years and currently, uh, maybe a person in your community that does or says things that you think are, are really wrong, unkind, violent, and bad. Um, what do we think of in our mind about that person? Uh, may all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be treated with compassion. Except that a-hole. That's not what we're on about. Do we do it? Yes. Do I do it? Of course. Does the mind go there? Of course. But when you find the mind feeling angry, judgment, yucky toward that person's behavior, smarten up. Smarten up. Put up a mirror for yourself. In fact, remind me, Neil, we'll send out the link to this podcast when we send this class out. Uh, I released a podcast today uh, where I said, uh, quit judging Will Smith, hold up a mirror. You may or may not have known. Something happened at the Oscars. I was on a silent solo retreat for the entire month of March, so the whole thing flew by me. I didn't know a dang thing. When I finally turned my phone on to gradually start getting back into contact with family, and are you coming to pick me up, honey, and things like that, news, you know, Ukraine, Russia, Will Smith. I'm like, what happened? 
Eventually, I discovered what happened. If you, like me, were under a rock for the month of March, Will Smith became triggered, became upset, went up on stage, slapped the fella that said the thing he didn't like, and then said some pretty strong things toward him. What does this have to do with moral ethics? A lot. Bear with me. Okay. So in this uh, teaching I gave, that we'll share with you if you like, I made, I hope, a helpful point, which is each and every one of us has a human body. And when we are triggered or upset by something, that we feel angry, anxious, frightened, uh, overwhelmed, grief-stricken, we'll call it triggering, good word in uh, psychotherapy. When we're triggered, our body floods. Uh, we're in fight or flight. We have a biochemical reaction, cortisol, adrenaline, and we are temporarily not as rational as when we're unflooded. Each and every one of us knows this feeling. Each and every one of us has had this feeling many times in our life. What happened for Mr. Smith, who I don't personally know, is he became flooded by something he heard and how he interpreted it. And then he made the, the error that many of us have made, if not, let's be honest, all of us have made, that in a moment of being flooded and triggered, we said or did something unwholesome, unskillful, right? So in the teaching I gave on the podcast, it was a little bit tough because I said, everybody, stop judging Will Smith. His actions were not skillful. They were not wholesome. But, oh, how could he? And he, like, bloody hell, I said. How would you like to take the time you've been the most flooded in the last year or your life and have it filmed and broadcast to a billion people? How would you look? And you, 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 and me. Anybody want to sign up to have your worst moment broadcast to a billion people? Anybody volunteering and thinking you'd come out okay? So this is, to my larger point, when we find our minds thinking, Will Smith is a monster, or whatever we think, get your head out of your other places. And hold up a mirror and say, blessings to Will Smith, clearly the dude's doing his work and making his amends and trying to figure out what's going on and, uh, and, and whatnot. And every single person going, <laughs> is a hypocrite. Because who are we in glass houses to throw stones at other people? So there's an example of me in my own clumsy way, trying to practice my own ethics, because I'm like, ooh, that wasn't a good move, man. I've done some really rotten things when I was flooded, things I'm ashamed of, things I regret, things I'm very glad weren't broadcast to the whole world in that moment. Can we send compassion? From the little bit I've seen and heard, which is very little, I'm not much of a celebrity gossip follower, but it's pretty hard not to get some of the messaging. Dude's trying to make amends, figure it out, do his work. Right? It's going to be perfect, it's going to be imperfect. But instead of making it a vilification of a human being who made a mistake, let's take it as, and back to our ethics, and back to our sila, and back to our attempts to make amends, to apologize, to begin again, to learn and to grow when we do think or say unskillful, unwholesome things. There's a bit of a modern take, I guess, today, on the second parami of sila, ethics, integrity. The third one actually fits very well here. Buddha was a clever human. Uh, the parami, or the perfection, or the quality of shanti, or patience. patience. Very beautifully, the Buddha taught that patience is the antidote to anger. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? I don't think that naturally would have occurred to me. 
I would think patience is the antidote to impatience or something, right? It's the opposite thereof. But according to the Buddha, patience is a beautiful antidote to anger. And when you think about this and explore this, and I want you to do that. I want you to go away and think about and explore these things. Look these up on the internet. Uh, uh, just Google Buddhism six perfections. You'll get all sorts of articles talking about this, explaining it more, probably podcasts and um, YouTube uh, talks of other teachers, etc. But patience you can think of in this for tonight as that gap that poor Mr. Smith didn't have that night. Where we're, when we're flooded, which can happen in a millisecond, when we're triggered by something real or imagined, if we can have a little bit of a gap, a little bit of patience, a little moment to go, and ideally to recognize we're angry or flooded, that's when ideally he could have maybe got up and left the room and gone for a walk for half an hour until his body calmed down. Not created karma, which simply means cause and effect, taking action. Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if for the rest of our lives, when any of us are triggered in any way, we have enough patience to not act or say anything till we're wiser a bit later? And then we might very much need to say something. In the perfect world, Will Smith, but in the perfect world, he wouldn't have been triggered, but in the perfect world, when we're triggered, we will stop and not act. And then maybe the next day he would have phoned Chris Rock, who was an acquaintance or friendly, and say, look, we need to talk. I'm really bothered by something that happened last night. Can we get together? we got to do some serious debriefing here. That would have been skillful, right, and wholesome. Patience you can think of as not acting until we've sort of had sober second thought. You know, time for the body to unwind and calm down. Time for us to watch the story in our mind going, you know, <laughs> it was my fall guy tonight. And often, you know, Neil's a terrible person. How could he give me three and a half cookies? Did he eat the other half cookie before he got here? What a selfish son of a gun. Whatever the story is. Patients could say, whoa, look at that story that this mind is concocting. Is it wholesome or unwholesome? Is it true or not true? We don't know if it's true or not true. It's made up by our head. Is it helpful for me to indulge this story any longer? That man said something about my wife that was super damaging. It was a story. If we'd taken time to calm the body-mind, we still might feel, as I've already said, you know, Neil, I need to have a conversation. I'm feeling distressed about something that happened between us. Could we please talk about it? Could I hear your point of view? Could I tell you that I was hurt or upset by it? That can be skillful. Patience, oddly. Maybe it's better to use the Pali word here of Kishanti, but patience is developing that quality to kind of take a, a broad view and to not be as caught up in our immediate experience and need to act on it and be patient. You say, okay, Cheryl, just see how we feel about it tomorrow. <laughs> Don't hit send. <laughs> when you've written that immediate text or email. Send people. Give yourself some patience. Give yourself some time. Chances are tomorrow morning, if you still feel you need to address the issue, and you might or you may not, you'll probably rewrite your first. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. Like, yeah, don't hit send. Don't, especially if you're arguing with your spouse on text. I would never do that, but I'm sure you do. And you're like, just don't hit send. Send a smiley face emoji or a heart instead. <laughs> you know, wait till you're. A little more patient, a little less flooded, a little less distressed. I'm teaching these tonight in a bit more of a regular world way, but these are 
teeth, dharmas, to be patient with the mind, to be patient with the confusion when we take an object as real, when we take the thing the fellow on stage said as real, inherently real, and I need to create huge consequences because of it. That's deep delusion, deep confusion. Patience is kind of watching the mind and, and, and the patient says, there, 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 there. Let it all dissolve back. Let it all dissolve into emptiness. Come back to the breath. Patience. So we've got generosity, ethics, integrity. We've got patience. Aren't those great things to study and practice? And please, when, like me, you, you make mistakes or, or, or think, act, or speak in an unskillful way, instead of vilification, pointless, bring curiosity. Wow, that wasn't skillful. Do I need to, to, to make amends and, 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 and take action and say, I'm really sorry, Kim, that was completely out of line. I would, there's no excuse. I was triggered more about my childhood than you, and I shouldn't have said that unkind thing. Do we need to fix something as best we can? Try to heal. And then hold ourselves with grace and say, I too am human. I too will err. Patience, self-generosity, working on the lifelong journey of becoming more and more wholesome in our body, speech, and mind, more and more wholesome in what we say, what we do, and what we think. So the fourth parami, and these are the traditional order they are taught in. It isn't necessarily linear. We certainly don't master one until you get to the next one, or we'd never get peeling the first one. But these are the way they are taught. Donna generosity, sila ethics morality, shanti patience, and then into uh, effort or diligence or perseverance or energy, virya or wirya. What does that mean? Well, in terms of your meditation, you've probably all noticed that it takes energy and diligence to meditate. It's not easy, even for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, certainly for a whole day of retreat, certainly for a whole month of retreat. Boy, it's easier to lay down and read a newspaper or a book or listen to something. It's easier. Let's just be freaking honest. It's easier to watch Netflix than it is to meditate. That, that's just, I think it's just a fact for almost everybody. Feels easier anyway. Feels easier. Oh, boy, that's a big talk for another day. But if we are desirous of learning our mind, understanding our mind, being able to suffer less, yay! Reducing our afflictive emotions, our negative emotions, our painful emotions, reducing our agitation, our anxiety, our restlessness. It's going to take some training. It's not unlike if you were recovering from a back injury or um, something and you needed to slowly be rehabilitated and then slowly become more fit and slowly build your core strength and slowly build up those muscles and that flexibility, right? It, 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 takes, it takes a while to renovate. So in this um, effort, energy, wiria, it's simply saying, you know, you can't, you, you can't really phone it in. Certainly we do. We phone in our meditations. We phone in our darting prayers. We say our prayers. Better than nothing. But we don't always do it with effort and intention. So when we notice ourselves doing it in a lazy, sloppy way, can we tighten our effort? When we notice ourselves doing this, 
and saying, okay, oh, there's only about five minutes left in, in, in the meditation. I'll start planning my grocery list because there's only five minutes left. That's a great time to apply the fourth perfection of diligence or energy and say, it's going to be the best five minutes of the whole night. I'm going to tighten my focus. I'm going to say, okay, mind, quit being sloppy. Let's, let's really, for this one breath or for this one sound, pay attention and then repeat and then repeat. In life, can anybody hear? Maybe sometimes we can say yes to this. Mostly we can. But can anybody here say that, you know, something came to you super easily? Sometimes maybe you won a lottery. So it was like all you had to do was buy a ticket and then check it. So that, that money came to you pretty easily. Doesn't mean it was easy after that, though, does it? But our careers, goodness, those of you that are parents in the room, those of you that have ever had a romantic relationship, a friendship, a coworker, a boss, and anything, those of you that have learned to cook, um, lovely dishes or, um, uh, goodness, get, learn how to grow a garden for one of the first times in your new home or, uh, train a cat. Okay. That's not possible. Not even the Buddha could do that. Train a dog to do what you want it to do. <laughs> it took effort. This is so intriguing to me as a Dharma teacher and having had such an honor and a pleasure to work with some of you for some time on your, on your, your path and your meditation and here and in retreats and in other ways is that we all kind of think it should be easier. <laughs> we all kind of think, you know, I, I, I meditated for a weekend. I should be good at this now, right? I'm like, mm, what do you do for a living? I'm a nurse. Did you learn it in a weekend? No. How long did you go to school? Four or five years. How long into your profession before you felt really competent and skilled? Another four or five years, right? But we think, well, you know, I tried to meditate. Back when we used to have, you know, gatherings, now that we may again. Uh, on occasion, I don't wear a T-shirt that says I teach Dharma, but sometimes people when I say, oh, I hear you teach meditation. They usually don't say Dharma because they don't necessarily know what that word means, which is fine. And I say, yeah, I sometimes do. And they say, you know, I don't. And he said, well, I went to this class and we're supposed to watch my breath and not think. Any Dharma teacher that says don't think doesn't know how to teach meditation. Terrible advice, but a lot of people misconstrue it or it's taught um, clumsily by good people. But anyway, and I couldn't stop thinking. And so I can't meditate. Did you go back? Yeah, I went one more time. I went twice. Can't meditate. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a very common thing. I certainly felt the same way myself. And then I usually say, as you've already you've kind of you know already given the punchline, I say, what do you do for a living? Or do you have a hobby? Or what do you love to do? Say, oh, I love to ski. I say, oh, great. When did you learn to ski? Wow, when I was four years old. Yeah, what's the toddler ski school? And then I did this, and then I did that. And did some ski camps when I was in my teens. And tried to get up on the mountain at least a dozen times a year. And, you know, pretty soon they started, you know, kind of obvious when I say so. So, you know, I took quite a lot of training, quite a lot of time, yeah. So... What would it be if um, you were a little less hard on yourself that you can't meditate? Same way I can't ski. I've been twice in my life. I can't ski. But could I learn to ski? Maybe not in an elite way or a particularly balletic way. But could I learn to ski if I dedicated myself to weeks and weeks or months or years of training and gradually built up my skills? Yeah, you can learn to ski. I'll take you. And that's extremely kind. The point is pretty simple. It takes diligence. That's that fourth one. Another... Um, Another uh, translation of the word virya or wirya, effort, energy, diligence, um, determination, all in that realm. So this is really good news. None of us can meditate. It's hard. It takes training. 
uh, you know, tongue in cheek. That's why we call it meditation practice. I'm going to, I'm going to practice. Yeah. We don't call it got it in one, you know, maybe if you're a Buddha and if so, as I say, we need to switch seats because I'm not a Buddha yet. And it's such a relief. I actually find it a relief. Some people might find this, oh no, it's going to take all this effort. I actually find it a relief because what it says to me is it's okay if you can't ski. It's okay if you suck at singing. It's okay if you can't grow a daffodil to save your life. You can learn. You can train. You can ask people who are better at it than you, who know more, who are naturally a bit better at it or trained or learned. Or you could read a book. You could watch a YouTube video on, you know, how to grow a daffodil. And you can learn. So everybody can't meditate and everybody can meditate. And also most people who say, I can't meditate, um, didn't hear the instructions correctly or they weren't given particularly correctly. Of course they thought, <laughs> you know, sit down for your first 45 minute meditation in your life. You know, watch your breath. Like every thought you've ever had in the entire history of your world are all going to happen in 45 minutes. That's fine. Good luck with being thought free. Unless you have a natural gift toward that, in, in which case you're probably partly a dull type, and your thought three is more like, <laughs> man in the back, uh, and not necessarily deep meditation all the time. Other times it's a very deep state that is thought three med- meditation. Sometimes it's snoozing. Um, but over time, and we all have different predilections, strengths, and tendencies of our minds, for a few of you, uh, having less thoughts will come fairly easily. And then it might be, again, trying to tighten up the clarity, the sparkliness, the, the clarity of the meditation. For the majority of us, certainly this one, too. Lots of thoughts. Lots of training. Less thoughts. Way more training. I'm going 25 years now. Sometimes not very many thoughts at all until they're there and then there's thoughts again. So it takes effort, it takes diligence, and instead of being discouraged, I find that encouraging because if it takes effort, it means we can all get there. We can all in this room learn to play the guitar. Some of us would have more of a natural ear, a natural tendency, even the right length of fingers to take to it more easily than the rest of us. But if we took it as a year-long study, by the end of this year, we could all play, I don't know what song, on the guitar that had more than two chords. Not just the Ramones, something a little more sophisticated. We could. Again, some of us would be like, wow, are you ever good at the guitar? You picked it up so easily. Beautiful. Others will be like, pretty painstaking, but I can play my first real song. We can do anything. Diligence, effort, This is a beautiful quality taught by the Buddha of one of the six perfections, one of the six incredibly powerful things in your life, in your work, in your families, in your hobbies. Some diligence and persistence. What do they say? Winners never quit and quitters never win. Something along those lines. Uh, If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. What is success? Falling down a hundred times but getting up. 101. All these great sayings, these great slogans that speak about diligence. Walt Disney went to, I believe it is, 42 banks that turned down his vision for Disney World. But he went to a 43rd. How many of us would honestly have done that, right? You had a big business plan, big dream. 
Maybe we'd go to four or five or six banks, and then I think most of us would say, well, clearly it's not going to work. My idea is not good. Persistence, diligence. 43rd Bank said, well, it's a harebrained idea. I don't know that. I'm making that part up. But we'll loan you the money, Walt. That bank manager probably got supreme raises later in his or her life for being the one who said yes. Persistence and diligence in something like that. Certainly all of us who've trained, as we've all trained, persistence and diligence. Don't give up on your meditation because it's a bit challenging. Don't give up on your meditation even when it's hell. Because it will be sometimes. Seek some support, seek some guidance, seek some help. Sometimes take a break from it. Get some good teaching on when to push through and when to not push through. Different times. But that's the fourth parami. So to review, we've got generosity. We've got ethics or, or skillful behavior. We've got patience. Any of you who know me would know that might be the hardest one for me. We've got diligence. I'm better at diligence than patience. If I could, as my dear teacher said to me more than once, Cheryl, if you could become enlightened by willpower, you'd already be enlightened. That's not enough. Rats. I mean, I can't just, you know, push my way. Nope. I can't diligence my way there. Nope. Need more. That's why there's six, not one. So the, the fifth, generosity, ethics, integrity, patience. <laughs> See, you need the patience when the diligence isn't enough. You need to realize you need to be patient, do many things. And we get to the latter two. The fifth one, uh, samadhi, different words used there, but samadhi in Pali, translated as concentration or meditation. For now, that'll do. Concentration, meditation. That's the piece that's actually about meditating. If you've been paying attention, these first four didn't mention meditation. Right? Be a generous being in your life, your thoughts, your heart. Uh, work on your ethics, your integrity, your, your, your um, being a wholesome being. Uh, work on being patient with your emotions, with life, with your thoughts. Work with effort on all of these things. Oh yeah, and meditate. Number five massive confusion that the path of dharma is to meditate. Meditation is a very important skill. It's a very important practice. But if you're an excellent meditator and you're selfish, unethical, angry, and lazy, ballyhoo for you, you're good at meditating. It's got nothing to do with dharma. Nothing whatsoever. You could be, as is often used as a, as a traditional and a modern example, you could be incredibly concentrated, super mindful, like maybe a surgeon performing an important surgery, or a thief um, uh, robbing the Louvre. Super concentrated, better than all of our meditative skills, like absolutely concentrated, no distraction. Think of these, I don't know, Mission Impossible movies or whatever with all the lasers and all the things you got to do. All the You better be locked and loaded exceptionally concentrated in a meditative state to navigate that. But where's your ethics at? Where's your generosity at? Where's your emotional control, your patience at? And uh, where is your, your general goodness at? Perhaps not so much. Surgeon, maybe more so. Depends on the surgeon. Depends on the thief. Maybe they're, they're, they're Robin Hood and they're stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Maybe they are generous. We'll leave all that for now. But I'm making the point that please note that meditation and concentration are one of six. 
It's not the path. Meditation is not the path of dharma. It's one of the skills and developments that help us awaken. And then the sixth of the six is wisdom. Wisdom awareness or uh, dhyana in this particular list. Uh, Dhyana being the, the Pali word. And wisdom of what? That's a very good question. I'm going to teach it on a a more basic level and a more uh, not basic level. At the basic level, wisdom into the nature of truth of reality of things like nothing lasts forever, impermanence. We're all going to die. This is a fact, and and wisdom helps us see that. When we really grasp that we're all going to die, as is often said, death is certain, only the time of death is uncertain. That can influence our behavior. This was our last Dharma talk, which happened to fall right near Neil's birthday. We called it the, instead of his birthday, what do we call it? The one year closer to death day. You know, acknowledging we're all going to die. And when we really embrace that, as opposed to it being depressing, hopefully it can motivate us to do less of the stuff we're wasting time on and more of the things that really matter to us. Being with people we love, exploring the world, maybe studying Dharma, doing retreat, being kind, finally starting that small backyard charity we've been wanting to start. So that's these are relative wisdoms, seeing the truth of impermanence, seeing the importance of not just taking care of number one, not just uh, selfishly making sure we've got all the stuff, but that sharing and helping our family, our friends, and strangers, generosity, bodhicitta, uh, compassion, wisely learning, seeing, observing, and experiencing that these are wholesome things that help us and others feel less suffering. Seeing the wisdom of the Four Noble Truths, that when we cling to wanting things to be different, we suffer a lot more than when we develop equanimity and we remain in alignment with the truth of what's happening, even when what's happening is difficult, like someone we love has a terminal illness, profoundly difficult, but when we cling to wanting it to be different and hating it and feeling cheated and wrong and this shouldn't be happening, we increase the suffering. Wisdom sees everything ends, This is sad, and can we be with it, with love and with grace, as much as possible? So these are relative wisdoms. We can make it even more simple. Be kind, as the Dalai Lama says, be kind whenever possible, and it's always possible. Isn't that a great quote? Be kind whenever possible, and it's always possible. That's wisdom. Think, act, feel speak with as much kindness and wisdom and compassion as possible. So there's all the relative wisdoms. If I have to step on you to get the thing I want, that's not going to feel all that good in the end. So wisdom recognizes that, that we're interconnected, whether we know each other or not. That to get here tonight, we all relied on hundreds or hundreds of thousands of people that, you know, tightened the bolt on the tire on your vehicle, that laid some of the the pavement on the roads you drove on, that um, built each and every bit of this building, uh, right down to Neil and Shelley and whomever else, got the key, opened the place, turned on the light, set up things so you could uh, hear this talk if you're not with us. Um, Not to mention at home, your your spouse, your friend, your partner might have said, don't worry, I've got the kids or the grandkids so you can go to class. Or, 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 or maybe someone switched to shift with you at work so you could be free tonight. 
And yet we act as though it's all about us sometimes. And when we remember how deeply all beings are interconnected, that's also wisdom. This is all relative wisdom. Then there's the transcendent wisdom, wisdom awareness. Uh, this will be unfamiliar to a few of you perhaps, um, and that's okay. You can learn lots about it as we go along. But on the absolute level, wisdom sees the emptiness of all phenomena. It sees that the concepts we create, the stories that the mind uh, creates are illusory and they can dissolve in their place. Neil's a big mean guy because he ate half of a cookie is just a concept. It has no reality to it whatsoever. But if I hang on to it, believe it, it might lead me to, I don't know, punch Neil in the nose. The nature of luminous mind, the nature of the ocean of luminous mind underneath all these little me thoughts and these little me feelings is the larger wisdom. This isn't a class about that tonight, but I wanted to put in context for those of you that studied some of that material, Mahamudra, Dzogchen, through tantric practice, um, through the study of emptiness from the Theravadan side or from whatever place you arrive at those teachings. That wisdom is the relative wisdom and there's the ultimate wisdom. And that is the sixth of the six perfections. Well, how would we walk out of here tonight and, you know, take this to the streets? Be a little or a lot, if you're able, more generous. Receive a little or a lot more graciously. Be a little more diligent, that's the fourth. With your ethics, that's the second. Clean up your act a bit around, I don't really need to claim the cash income on my taxes this week. Well, it's up to you. But, you know, ethics and morality and what's fair and what's, you know, are you like saying, well, you know, I don't really need to pay tax on that. Well, again, it's up to you. But what are the little ways that we really honest bunch of people here kind of go, well, that part's okay. That part's okay. Study it. Think about it. Turn it over. Chew on it. Generosity, ethics, patience. On the way home, if you're walking, riding your bike or driving, probably those are the big three. If you're flying with your arms, I'm impressed. But however you're making your way home this evening, maybe being a passenger while someone else is driving, let's say there's an unskillful driver on the road who swerves in front of you or stops for no reason and you're stuck behind them. What may occur is a flash of irritation or judgment or story or what a fool or what is that, what's that dummy up to? Practice patience. Practice patience. Practice patience. Because I love how I do it too. We all listen to this stuff. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, may all be, except for that guy, except for them. So notice, oh, there's impatience, there's frustration, there's agitation. Can you be kind to your good heart to say, create a gap? Just be. There is frustration present. There is frustration present. It'll start to soften. It'll start to soften. Go out with more diligence. If you're, oh, I'd really like to start a meditation practice, but maybe I'll start tomorrow morning. Take out the maybe. I will start tomorrow morning. But then, word to the wise, if you don't have a, currently a daily practice uh, you may be used to, it's lapsed, whatever, no problem. Instead of saying, I'm going to meditate for an hour and a half tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., just say, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, I'm going to brush my teeth, I'm going to have a pee, I'm going to feed the cat so it won't pester me when I meditate. And then I'm going to sit for 
five minutes. I'm going to set a little timer on my phone, turn it upside down, turn off all the other bells and whistles, and I'm just going to meditate for five minutes. When the bell goes, if I feel like meditating a little longer, I will. Set yourself up for success. A little bit of diligence. A little bit of diligence. Sometimes we need a lot of diligence, too. Meditation, concentration. I suggest you practice it sometimes. Daily's great. Every other day is great. Coming here Monday night to practice is great. Generally, more is better most of the time. And wisdom. When you find yourself today, tonight, tomorrow, caught in any thinking or experience that is distressing you, have a little bit of wisdom, or maybe a lot of wisdom, to realize this too shall pass. The experience I'm having is constructed by my mind. Carolyn hates me, and so I'm super upset because of something she did or didn't do or said or I thought she said or a joke that was made on stage that hit me and triggered me. Now my reality is that that person was super mean to my wife. Is it the real reality? Wisdom says, just this is the story, this is the experience. It, it's like a dream. It's like I'm having a dream, a good dream, a nightmare, a medium-neutral dream. Instead of acting as though it's the absolute truth, wisdom says, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. So, to summarize, then we'll sit for three or four minutes and we'll finish up for the evening. Go forth contemplating giving and receiving, being a little more diligent and effortful, training the mind, watching where our ethics are a little wobbly, even if we consider ourselves a pretty ethical person, as I'm sure each of us do, and each of us most likely are in this room, but we can do better. And train the mind, and keep studying wisdom teachings. Keep studying the teachings that help us understand that so much of what we believe is not accurate, and there's always a way to rewrite the story. To rewrite the story. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that talk on the six perfections, which brings us to this week's Love Bite. Are you ready? I know I am. Life is not random. Be careful what you practice. If you practice morality, if you practice generosity, if you practice patience and effort and concentration and you practice becoming more wise, you will have a much happier life. So get on with it. For now, I'm Dr. Cheryl Fraser. Can't wait to be with you next week. Thanks for listening to Sex, Love, and Elephants. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But most of all, thank you for being part of this herd. If you enjoyed listening, please share this with a friend. And if you haven't already, I would love, love, love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player because it really helps all the other elephants find us. If you have any questions or comments or maybe an idea for the show or you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me directly at drcherylfraser.com where you can also sign up for weekly Love Bites, science-based tips for creating love and passion that last a lifetime. Lifetime.